I'll be reading from Matthew 6, verse 19 to 24. Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, your heart will be also. The eye is the lamp of the body. So if your eye is healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light in you is darkness, how great is the darkness. No one can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God in money. Thank you, Stephanie, for reading today's passage. Over the past few weeks, we have talked about spiritual practices that help us gain perspective, giving, prayer, and fasting. Perspective is so important because life is full of decisions based on what we value. What we treasure is determined by our worldview, the way we see things. Inevitably, we will give our lives to what we worship, what we consider to be worthy of our devotion, whether we are religious or irreligious. Like many Canadians, one of my dreams was to purchase my own home. Home ownership is understood to be a good thing. A home provides a secure place for the family to live, and it builds equity, a good hardcore asset. A number of years ago, I managed to scrap together a down payment, did some research on variable and fixed mortgages, secured a good mortgage, and bought a home. As time went on, I noticed that the mortgage took on a life of its own in my soul. It began to consume me. It determined my priorities, my stress level, my decision-making, my emotional state, even our family vacations. I realized that the payment of the mortgage had become my heart treasure. In some areas, it was directing my life more than God was. What do you treasure? In Matthew 6, Jesus has been talking about living for the reward of the Father, not the fleeting rewards of earth, like the applause of others and a sense of self-righteousness. In our passage today, verses 19 to 24, Jesus employs three metaphors, treasure, light, and slavery, to talk about matters of the heart because the heart really matters. The heart really matters. If we ever needed to hear something from Jesus, it is in these verses. Jesus contrasts treasure on earth with treasure in heaven, uh, darkness with light, uh, mammon with God, He talks about heart investment, heart enlightenment, heart enslavement. He sets the false and the true over against each other in order to help us compare them, see clearly, and make good choices. And it is understood that it should be easy to know what we should decide. It is a question of wisdom. Let's listen to Jesus. Verse 19 of chapter 6. Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth, where moth and rust destroy, and where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven, 
where neither moth nor rust destroys, and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. There's a play on words in the original, something like this. Do not treasure up for yourselves, treasure on earth, treasure up for yourselves, treasure in heaven. Treasure, of course, represents the, the accumulation of what is valuable. We will value something. We're expected to lay up treasures for ourselves. The question is, what will we treasure? Our attention is directed to the comparative durability of the two treasures. Treasures on earth might be clothing that could be ruined by moths. Fashions, they changed little in the day of Jesus. Clothes could be passed on and then deteriorate. I remember the hand-me-down phase of my life. I was the third of four boys with lots of male cousins. I had no idea there were stores out there where you could buy something new. My clothes were not treasures in heaven or on earth. In Jesus' day, the word rust, it could refer to the corrosion of metals, but it could also refer to the destruction affected by any devouring pest. Rats and mice got into stored goods, worms into buried goods, and pests into crops. Thieves could break in, literally. They could dig through the mud brick walls of most first century Palestinian homes and steal things from storerooms. What's the point? Treasures on earth are always only for a season. They are corruptible and insecure. They are destined to pass away. <laughs> Nature and time will take care of them. The next time you drive by a garbage dump or a junkyard, remember that some people have spent their lives trying to acquire that stuff which now rots and corrodes in a dump. People give up relationships and valuable time to obtain things that are corruptible. James uses language similar to that of Jesus. Your riches have rotted and your garments are moth-eaten. Your gold and silver have corroded and their corrosion will be evidence against you and will eat your flesh like fire. You have laid up treasure in the last days. James chapter 5. How does one store up treasures on earth? In the context of Matthew, any treasure outside of the kingdom reward of the Father is earthly. We can live for the liquidation of a home mortgage, the accumulation of material possessions, the acknowledgement received through academic degrees, the applause of others, reputation, the thrill of making a deal, a relationship, fashion, vacations, power, sex, fame, almost anything. As Jesus has pointed out earlier in his sermon, some will even give, pray, and fast for public acclaim and a feeling of self-righteousness. All of these treasures on earth are corruptible, they're fleeting, they're insecure. As Jesus' followers, we must ask ourselves what we will take from earth into eternity. Hearses, those long <laughs> funeral cars, don't pull U-Hauls packed with material goods, degrees, and vacation packages behind them. 
Jesus says in Matthew chapter 16, verse 24, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. For what will it profit a man if he gains the whole world and forfeits his soul? Or what shall a man give in return for his soul? Jesus makes it clear that we will take nothing material with us into eternity. So Jesus, how do we store up treasures in heaven? In Matthew chapter 6, Jesus teaches us that we practice kingdom righteousness because we love the Father, not to be seen by others. When we give to the needy, we're generous because the Father is. When we pray and fast, our only audience is the Father. We pray and fast to just be with the Father, align our hearts with His and pray for others. Our Father knows what we need before we even ask Him, so our prayer life is an eager response to His invitation to intimate conversation. As we pray the Lord's Prayer, or as we named it the Disciples' Prayer, we're reoriented to value treasures in heaven. We know our Father is sovereign and all-powerful. We pray to the Father for His loving agenda to be done all over the earth. We live for the eternal reward of seeing people respond to the gospel. We invest our time, energy, and finances in kingdom of heaven causes. We also know our Father is good and compassionate. We know He cares deeply about our daily needs for provision and protection. So we pray confidently. We sit on His lap and we ask. Followers of Jesus believe His words in Matthew chapter 5. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Followers of Jesus treasure the reward of their Father in heaven, to know Him, to be transformed into the likeness of His Son, Jesus, and to know they will see Him face to face. This investment, it's indestructible, it's secure. There's no need for insurance. It can't be stolen. Treasure in heaven, it's worked out in the details of one's personal life. In everyday life, we answer the question, do we want greater earthly reward now? Or do we want to live for the reward of the Father? When it comes to investment, the heart A follower of Jesus is invested in eternal significance. The heart of a follower of Jesus is invested in eternal significance. How do we know where our treasure is? Verse 21. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Your, there, it's in the second person singular. What's the point? The most highly treasured things occupy my heart and yours. It's personal. You and I look at something and say to ourselves, now that is beautiful. That is worth having. And if I have it, I'm worth something. And it's interesting that the location of the treasure, it precedes the location of the heart. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Our hearts follow our investments of time, money, and energy. Whatever we're passionate about, 
If we treasure something, we'll pay the price to get it. Wes Olmsted, professor at uh, Briarcrest Bible College, has said, your treasure has the capacity to pull your heart with it. That's why the place you choose to store treasure is so critically important. Throughout Scripture, the heart, it refers to the center of one's being, involving one's reason, convictions, emotions, and will. So it carries one's deepest beliefs, values, and desires. The most cherished treasure, subtly but infallibly, controls our thinking, our emotional state, and our direction. We must honestly ask ourselves where our heart's treasure is. John Kelvin wrote, If honor is rated the highest good, then ambition must take complete charge of a man. If money, then forthwith greed takes over the kingdom. If pleasure, then men will certainly degenerate into sheer self-indulgence. How do we know whether or not our hearts are set in the right direction? Jesus says in verses 22 and 23, The eye is the lamp of the body. So, if your eye is healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light in you is darkness, how great is the darkness. Jesus employs the metaphor of eye and body. Through the eye, the body finds its way. The eye is the conduit of light or darkness. Would you say you have good eyes or bad eyes? An optometrist, by examining your retina, can tell you a lot, not only about the health of your eye, but also the health of your whole body. For example, the optometrist can see signs of cancer, diabetes, and high cholesterol. Jesus says, if your eye is healthy, your whole body will be full of light. In Jewish literature, the eye can be equivalent to the heart. To fix the eye and to set the heart on something are synonyms. For example, in Psalm 119, verses 36 and 37, we read this. Incline my heart to your testimonies and not to selfish gain. Turn my eyes from looking at worthless things and give me life in your ways. The eye can be healthy or bad. In verse 22, healthy can mean single-minded focus or undivided loyalty. In verse 23, bad can mean double-minded. Are we single-minded or double-minded? Bono is the lead singer of probably the most famous rock band of the last three or four decades, U2. He was reading Eugene Peterson's paraphrase of the scriptures, the message. Bono was enraptured by his reading of the scriptures. They were coming alive for him. So he decided he wanted to meet Peterson. Bono contacted a friend of Peterson. The friend notified Peterson. Bono wants to spend some time with you. Peterson's response was this. I don't have time. I have to finish this work on the scriptures. His friend replied, What do you mean? No one says no to Bono. Do you realize you are saying no to the most famous rock star of our era? Everyone on earth wants this treasure. Peterson asked, Bono? 
Who's Bono? Peterson was focused on what he believed to be a kingdom task. Why would he give his precious kingdom time to a person that the world considered to be worthy of his attention? Eventually, Peterson and Bono met. They had a very good conversation. But wouldn't it be nice to be so focused on God and his kingdom that we would be oblivious to treasures on earth? Where we fix our eyes will determine our investment of time, energy, and money. When our eyes are good, we're focused on the Father's reward. We live for his glory, his kingdom, his will. We have inner light that enables us to see and walk clearly. We see, as Paul writes in Colossians chapter 2, verse 3, that all of the treasures of wisdom and knowledge are found in Jesus. When our eyes are bad, we're focused on treasures on earth. We live for our glory, our name, our kingdom, our will. When our vision is impaired, our thoughts are confused. When we're in the darkness, we have the wrong values. We make bad choices. When it comes to being enlightened, the heart of a follower of Jesus is illumined by kingdom vision. The heart of a follower of Jesus is illumined by kingdom vision. There's also another way for healthy and bad to be interpreted. In verse 22, the word healthy can also mean generous, and the word bad in verse 23 can mean miserly or stingy. In Jewish thought, the stingy man was a man with an evil eye. In other words, a covetous or greedy eye. The stingy man could not really see where he was going. He was morally and spiritually blind He did not have a generous bone in his body. Are we generous or stingy with time, passions, finances? How can we evaluate ourselves? We can look at our calendars. Where do we invest our best energy? What do we do in our spare time? We can look at our credit card statements. Where do we invest our finances? What do we give our money to? If we do this, we'll have a pretty clear picture of how we see life, what our priorities are, and what we invest in, earth or heaven. We have this letter from the second century written to a person named Diognetus. He was most likely living in Alexandria in Egypt. He wanted to understand the Christian faith. And this is how the conduct of the early church members were described to him. They marry as do others. They beget children, but they do not destroy their offspring. They have a common table, but not a common bed. They are in the flesh, but they don't live by the flesh. They pass their days on earth, but are citizens of heaven. Another translation reads, They share their tables, not their beds. In other words, they were very generous, but not sexually promiscuous. Now, if we were able to choose between a neighborhood where people shared their beds or a neighborhood where people shared their tables, which one would we choose? Would we choose the sexually promiscuous one or the financially generous one? As followers of Jesus, may we be known for what the early church was known for. They shared their tables with everyone. 
Jesus says something very sobering in these verses. If then the light in you is darkness, how great is the darkness? We may think we have light, but if the light within us is darkness, then the darkness is all the more terrible because we fail to recognize it for what it truly is. We're like the religious leaders in John chapter 9 who could not praise God when a man born blind was healed by Jesus. And they actually thought they were in the light. They say to Jesus, we see. Those who stormed the Capitol building in Washington on January 6th, they think they see. If interviewed, I doubt any of them would say, I walk in darkness. They're committed to a way of seeing American life and politics. They believe it to be light. They're willing to commit violent acts in the name of their ideology. If we have any questions in relation to the rightness or wrongness of the movement, we need only compare the words and actions of its adherents to the words of Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount. The fact that we think we see does not mean that we see. I can say, no, I saw it with my own eyes. I know what happened. Jesus would say, what you saw, you saw with your heart. And if your heart is dark, angry, bitter, resentful, skeptical, faithless, you actually didn't see what happened. Your vision is blurry, fuzzy, impaired, darkened. How do we ensure that our eyes are healthy? Where do we go for light? We go to the Father. The Father is the Father of lights, James says. Every good and perfect gift comes down from Him. The Father sent Jesus, His very own Son, and He said, I'm the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of light, life. John 8, verse 12. In that same chapter, Jesus says this, If you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples, and you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. When we invite Jesus into our lives, the Father sends the Holy Spirit to abide in us and illumine us. The Holy Spirit leads us into all truth. Truth about God, the world around us, truth about ourselves, The heart set on God has its eyes set on the Word of God. The disciple of Jesus abides in His Word. In 2021, make it a commitment to sit in the Word daily. Consume it. Meditate on it. Memorize it. Choose to live by it. A disciple of Jesus has set his heart on eternal kingdom significance and has been gifted with kingdom vision. And this is all based on one final thought. Chapter 6, verse 24. No one can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. British theologian, Pastor John Stott, comments, Jesus now explains that behind the choice between two treasures, where we lay them up, and two visions, where we fix our eyes, There lies the still more basic choice between two masters, whom we are going to serve. The word for money in this text, it's mammon. 
It's a Semitic word for money, property, or belongings. In both Hebrew and Aramaic, the root of the word indicates that in which one has confidence. What does Scripture say about money? Well, the Scriptures instruct us to provide for family and relatives. They commend work, wise business planning, and making provision for the future. The Bible does not forbid possessions or private property. The Bible encourages us to enjoy the good things the Creator has given us. It would be foolish to say that wealth, in and of itself, becomes evil in the Scriptures. Money is neither good nor bad. The love of wealth, however, is a great evil. And it is important to remember that both rich and poor can love money. Both rich and poor can treasure mammon because they believe it affords them security, personal worth, power, independence, and pleasure. In verse 32, Jesus says, For the Gentiles seek after all these things. They do. Europeans, Asians, Africans, North Americans, South Americans, and Australians. Confidence in mammon, money, property, and belongings is a worldwide religion found among all people groups. The form of worship just changes. It's pervasive. Jesus says, you cannot serve God and money. The word serve there is actually be enslaved. We are all enslaved to something or someone. We all worship something or someone. Both God and money are portrayed not as employers here, but as slave owners. A slave is the sole property of one master. A slave must give the master exclusive service. To hate in this context is to neglect or disregard one master. To love is to be committed to the other master. To be devoted is to hold fast to, to stick by one master. To despise is to look down upon the other master. A disciple of Jesus cannot live with divided loyalties. That is, one is either a slave to God or God is not served at all. In essence, you can't serve two masters, so don't even try. German theologian Dietrich Bonhoeffer wrote, Our hearts have room for one, all-embracing devotion. Very unfortunately, we may think and behave in the following way. Well, I can serve God at church services, uh, maybe in my small group or my preferred ministry area, but at other times I will allow other forces to rule the day. After all, uh, there are those gray zones. It is said, maybe it's a legend, that in the 11th century, during the Crusades, the Crusaders would use mercenaries to fight for them. The Crusades were religious wars, uh, so the Crusaders demanded that the, the mercenaries should be baptized prior to battle. During the baptism, the mercenaries would keep their swords out of the water, uh, symbolizing an area of their lives over which Jesus was not Lord. They were then free to use their swords as they desired. This crusader way of thinking sounds so foolish to us, right? But do we do this with our time, our favorite passions, or our wallets? The scriptures instruct us that 
All we are and have belongs to God. What God has entrusted to us, we are to steward for His purposes. Do we reserve some areas of our lives exclusively for ourselves? God demands exclusive allegiance. This is not a giving percentage question, 10%, 25%, or 50%. This is a lordship question. You cannot serve God and money. Jesus doesn't say, you should not. He says, you cannot. So when it comes to slavery, the heart of the follower of Jesus is enslaved to one master. The heart of the follower of Jesus is enslaved to one master, Jesus. One of the best ways to enthrone God in our lives and to disempower mammon is to give generously. Every time we give, it's an act of worship to the Father. We say, Father, our lives depend on you. Money, you are not our God. Our treasure is in heaven. You cannot sit on the fence on this one because there's no fence to sit on. If you give 50% of your life to mammon, you have given it to mammon. As theologian D.A. Carson writes, attempts at divided loyalty betray not partial commitment to discipleship, but deep-seated commitment to idolatry. How do you know whether or not you have an idol? It's not that hard. What gives you the most joy? What are you most passionate about? What do you fear losing most? What makes you feel most secure? If our answers are something other than Jesus, we are idolaters. How can we be freed from enslavement to idols? Well, when we pray the disciples' prayer, we're reminded of who our Father is. We submit to His wonderful, loving agenda. We remember something really special, that we are His treasured possession, His sons and daughters. The Father believed we were so valuable that He sent His Son to die for us. And Jesus agreed with the Father and gave His life for us. And our Heavenly Father, who loves us, we can trust Him to provide. So we abide in His Word and allow the Holy Spirit to ask us the heart questions, to shed light on our hearts and remove the darkness. We choose to forgive those who have offended us. We repent for the sins of unbelief and idolatry. And as God's light shines on us, the choices become obvious. We commit to live for eternal significance, the Father's reward. We choose to live with kingdom vision, the Father's vision. We submit to kingdom slavery, God alone, the only one worthy of our worship, the only one worthy of being our heart treasure, and then we're set free. I'm going to pray for all of us in just a minute. But first, if you have never surrendered your life to Jesus, I want to give you that opportunity right now. You can pray this prayer with me. Pray with me. Father, I confess that I have treasured many things other than you. I have gone to many places for light. I have submitted my life to many other masters. I need to be set free of the things that consume me, blind me, and enslave me. Jesus, you died in my place so that I might be set free of these things that do not give me life. 
You gave it all so that my sins might be forgiven, that my relationship with the Father might be restored, and that my heart might experience healing. I surrender my life to you, Jesus. Forgive me. Be my Savior, my Master, my light, my heart's treasure. Send your Spirit to make me like you. Thank you for the gift of eternal life. In your name I pray, Jesus. Amen. If you prayed that prayer for the first time, then do do talk to a friend of yours who follows Jesus. Or you can uh, click that I commit myself to Jesus button on your screen and we would love to connect with you and encourage you in your journey. Don't keep that decision to yourself. Share it with someone. And now a prayer for all of us who follow Jesus. Father, again, we just thank you that you have drawn us to yourself. We thank you for salvation in Jesus. Thank you, Jesus, for giving it all so that we might be set free, so that we might be set free of our sin, of our idolatry, of our selfishness, our self-centeredness, so that we might live free and focused on you. Forgive us, Lord, when we treasure things other than you. Forgive us, Lord, when we run after the things of this earth. Forgive us when we go to other places for light more than we go to your word, go to you for light. Forgive us, Lord, when we allow ourselves to be enslaved by things other than you. Forgive us, Lord. We ask, Lord, for the transforming work of your Holy Spirit in our lives so that we might treasure you more than anything or anyone else so that we might allow you to be our light, so that we, Lord, might walk submitted to you, enslaved to you, living for you, to know you, and to share the good news of Jesus with all those around us. We thank you, Lord, that you're merciful and good. We thank you for your forgiveness. We thank you for the gift of eternal life. May we live this day, today, in light of eternity. In your name, Jesus, we pray. Amen. God bless you. I'm going to leave some questions with you for your reflection.